This is heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Be Heard Talk, an award-winning talk show that adds a taste of trap music, Asada Shakur, and spice to unflavored news. Each Sunday, we discuss race, politics, and culture from an unapologetic Black millennial perspective, and we give you the opportunity to be heard. So leave your comments on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn, and we will read them throughout this show. My name is Selena Hill, and I'm the founder of Be Heard Talk and the digital editor at Black Enterprise. And I am super excited to be here with you all on the last Sunday that Donald Trump will officially be our president. Later on in the show, we'll spend 30 minutes unpacking the impact of the Trump years and the lasting effects of Trumpism on our nation with our Republican friend, Pierre Benjamin, who is the former director of grassroots outreach for the New York State Republican Party. Now, before I introduce my co-host, I wanna thank our official media sponsor and partner, Black Enterprise, as well as our sponsor, Black Spectrum Theater. Start your subscription today and enjoy Black Spectrum home video series. Subscribe today to check out Once Upon a Wife Time on January 22nd and a conversation with Vivica A. Fox on January 29th. You'll actually learn more about Black Spectrum Theater later on today when we play a clip from my exclusive interview with the founder and CEO, Carl Clay. In the interim, you can head to blackspectrum.com to become a season pass subscriber and to learn more today. Now let's start this show by introducing my co-host, Stanley Fritz. A conversation hey, with Fox. I want to be part of that conversation. Hey, y'all, this is Stanley Fritz, your favorite former engineer on the PC ones and twos. I am now mostly on the keyboard twos and threes. You can follow me on Twitter at Stan Fritz. You can follow me on Instagram at Stan Fritz. You can follow me on Snapchat at Darkskin Swindle, but I'm not there. But if you're on those clubhouse streets, I'm in those streets too mostly in the most ratchetest, messiest rooms. Come join me as I listen to other people talk about their own problems. It's very entertaining. I'm mad hyped to be here today, by the way. Selena, who else we got on stage? Yes, so joining us on the show, we also have Be Her Talk correspondent in Harlem's very own Damon Stubbs, who is the founder and organizer of Conscious in Pentecost, a faith and justice initiative and he is also a former executive leadership team member of the New York Urban League Young Professionals. Hey, what's up, David? Hey, what's going on, family? How y'all doing? We are doing well. How are you feeling? I am feeling anxious to get this conversation on today. <laughs> That's what I'm feeling, y'all. And so are watching. So the people are going off in the comments. They seem just as excited. Let us know where you are checking in from. Drop a, 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 the issues or the city that you're in. And um, thank you so much for the engagement. So Stanley, without further ado, let's kick things off with the News Roundup. Yes, thank you so much. So listen, guys, this is the News Roundup. Where we talk about things that made you laugh, cry, curse, flip a table, say vaccines are going to put a chip inside your body and make you gay, and or just ask what the heck is happening at the U.S. Capitol. And we got a pretty big packed list of stories. But first, in the most shocking slash unshocking story of all time, we have now learned that multiple firefighters, and wait guys, police officers were discovered to be white supremacists and were at the Trump rallies. Can you believe it? Who would have thought that the people who endorse Donald Trump and shoot black people for fun would be white supremacists? Selena, what do you think about this breaking news? <laughs> um, okay, we're being super like facetious and sarcastic, but it's sad. This breaking news is very, very sad. The fact that you know the cohort of domestic terrorists we saw um, surge on the Capitol, siege the Capitol at that, um, happened to be the people that we pay as taxpayers to protect us. It's very sad. Like we know, to me, it just goes back to the history, right? We know why the police force was even started. It was after um, slaves were actually freed, and they wanted to still still control African Americans in this country. So it's like the same people that were once slave masters and once wearing those KKK uniforms have now put on a different uniform, and they happen to get paid by us. So it's very sad and disheartening. I think that everyone who was part of the storm on the Capitol needs to be arrested and needs to be held accountable because we definitely need to stop this madness now. Well, Selena, if the cops were at the protest, 
who gonna arrest the cops? Yeah. That's what I'm that's what I'm saying. We need to purge police institutions. I mean, I'm I'm all for defunding. We've even talked about abolishing police institutions, but I think that that's something that's going to happen on an incremental matter, an incremental um, um, matter. Yeah, but I think as of now, we definitely need to, you know, figure out who was there, identify them, and they need to lose their jobs immediately. Damn, and how did you feel when the news told you what you had known all your life? All my life. I was like, oh, duh, bro. I mean, we've we been through this. We've been through this. I remember sitting down with my uncle who was in his 80s a few uh, years ago, and he was looking on television during a lot of the uprisings, and he said, Damon, this is nothing new. The police now are just being caught. He grew up, uh, of course, in the 40s and in the 30s and things of that nature, understanding uh, that this has always been. This is not nothing new. And what this also does is it refutes this narrative that I hear a lot that, you know, these are just a group of disgruntled, undereducated people who are impoverished. Everybody's from the Appalachia. Everybody's from rural America. Everybody is from the trailer park and they're just upset. No, dog. No, no. These are Ivy League educated, police trained, military teachers, counselors, professionals, Wall Street business people. This is not a group of simply people who have an attitude about how the government treated them who live somewhere on the backside of the Appalachian Mountains. I think that's what this shows. Well, you know, David, I think you're being racist by saying that white people live in the Appalachian Mountains. And the thing <laughs> that is nothing. But I wanna highlight a couple of comments we're seeing in the chat. Um, um, we can just highlight Nicole's comment real quick. I thought that was a pretty interesting comment on her part, just talking about the way that like, we've seen this happen all, all the time. And the reason it happens is because of white privilege. It really is as simple as that. The way those white folks ran into that Capitol was hitting police, was stealing stuff, and got to walk out on their own, they would have had to carry out those black bodies. I also wanted to go to Willie's comments. Um, and in case you can't find it, because it's been a little bit ago, Willie said, we have to find a way to stop paying them. Willie, I want to tell you something. That's called defunding the police. No, but in all actuality, um, I want to ask this question as a rhetorical one. You don't have to answer it, but if you're in the comments, we want to hear your thoughts. Is there a way that you can root out white supremacy from the police department, or do you just have to get rid of the police? And we want to hear your comments. Um, we want to see your comments, guys, so feel free to answer in the comments section. But next up, in a moment of levity and also a moment of mess, Andrew Yang, the Asian man who wrote an editorial telling Asian people to assimilate to white culture so that they wouldn't feel anti-Asian racism from white people is now running for mayor of New York City. And on the first day of his campaign, they asked him why had he left New York City and moved to upstate New York during the height of the pandemic. And he said, how do you expect me to raise a family in a two bedroom apartment when and when we have virtual school and work at the same time? So read a quote that Anaya put up there, shout out to Anaya. We live in a two bedroom apartment in Manhattan and so like, can you imagine trying to have two kids in a virtual school in a two bedroom apartment and then trying to do work yourself? Yes, Andrew Yang, we can imagine that. All of us can imagine that. Shout out to all the moms who have had to do virtual schools with their kids, do virtual jobs, and also take care of the, the actual house. This is not anything new. But before I take you guys comments on this, I also wanted to mention one more thing about Andrew Yang. So for those of you who don't live in New York City, let me tell you something. We are very passionate about our bodegas and bodegas mean something very specific to us. Andrew Yang posted a video of him in what was clearly a midtown market walking through and said it was a bodega. So we don't have enough time to share it with you guys now, but we will tweet it out on our account later on. It was not a bodega. If you can stretch your arms out and, and not touch anything, you're not in a bodega. If there's <laughs> random guys hanging out next to, the, next to the freezer, it's not a bodega. If there's no cat, it's not a bodega. So with all this Andrew Yang news, how are you guys feeling about Mr. Andrew Yang for mayor? Selena? Yeah, no, look, I, I liked Andrew Yang when he was on the presidential campaign, um, but I just feel like he continues to show us how disconnected he is to average New Yorkers, right? And if he wants to govern this city, we need a mayor who knows the difference between a Whole Foods Junior and a bodega, right? We need someone who understands the grievances, the grievances that we're all going through because obviously we all live in tight spaces, right? It's New York City, we all live on top of each other. And I feel like the best people to solve these problems are those who are closest to the problem. So if you're so far disconnected that you can't even relate to me and my community, 
it's going to be hard for me to give you my vote. So I'm hoping that Andrew can, can definitely pick it up and do whatever he needs to do because he's getting a lot of bad PR. Damon, are you in a Yang gang? Nah, bruh. <laughs> no Yang gang here. Um, there's a couple things about Andrew Yang. Uh, first of all, we know about the universal basic income thing he wants to do. We know that, I think you already said this, Stan, before, but in um, the city context, that would be very underwhelming. It wouldn't really be a lot, right? Also about Andrew Yang, we also know that he hasn't voted in local elections. You know, he hasn't himself participated in choosing mayors for New York City's leadership. So that alone right there is a little off. And also, I can't just imagine Andrew Yang having any other policy or uh, really going head to head with the police union. I don't imagine an Andrew Yang uh, doing something uh, in housing. I don't imagine an Andrew Yang really hitting other issues. I love people who have ideas, but you can't just simply govern off of one big idea. It's more than that to the city. So, Lena, I know we're getting a couple of comments. You want to share some of those comments with us? Yeah, sure. So we had a comment from um, Respect Ally, Eli, excuse me, via Facebook. He says Scott Stringer for mayor. And he wasn't the only person who is calling for Scott Stringer to be mayor. Another person is saying Mike Tyson for mayor. Um, for right. I, he doesn't. Uh, he's on a cannabis farm somewhere in the, in the Midwest. In the I, uh, right. Right. So uh I just want to say that it doesn't seem like we see a lot of fans of Andrew Yang, at least not in the comments. Thank you so much for dropping your feedback. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Keep the comments coming. If you're watching the show, you're having a good time or it's getting you mad. Take a screenshot of what you're watching, post it on Twitter or on Facebook. Add us at Be Heard Talk, and we'll make sure we retweet and comment. Once again, take a screenshot of the show, comment, like write a comment about what you think about the show, what you think about the topic and add us at Be Her Talk, and we'll make sure we get back to you. Let's keep the stories moving. So I think we all have seen the story now of the beautiful black goddess queen who was assaulted by a white savage Trump supporter and defended herself. So if you have not seen the video, pretty much what happened was a white woman tried to punch a black woman in the middle of a crowd. And anyone who has ever gotten into a fight in their dreams knows you can't fight in your dreams. Your punches are mad soft. That's what that white woman's punch was. The black woman's punch, though, was not soft and she definitely put hands and feet on her. That black woman has since now been fired. If you wanna see the video, Black Enterprise has a really good article about the entire story, including the video that you guys can watch right there. Black female security guard terminated after punching Trump supporter in viral video. Now, whilst, while let your voice be heard, be heard talk, we do not support violence, I will say, Black Lives Matter. Damon, what do you think about this video? Nah, nah. First of all, I want to know how she get fired quicker than the officers that did the chokehold, Eric Garner. You know, that 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 alone right there just blows my mind that she can get fired that quickly. But we see a lot of these policies throughout many private companies, um, fast food, uh, retail, um, even at the bank. You are expected to really de-escalate. Um, you're expected to back away. You're expected to restrain yourself, even when it's self-defense. So to me, I feel as though she shouldn't have been fired. Uh, evidently, she wasn't the provoker, especially in the context of what was happening. Uh, for her to be fired, to me, is absolutely crazy. Um, but I also think it's crazy that we expect security guards to show more restraint than people who graduate from the police academy. Selena, what do you think about the video? So I saw the video a few days ago, but the thing I wanted to highlight was the MAGA protester's daughter, who's another hero in this story. Her name is Helena Duke, and she is 18 years old, and she's the one who outed her mother as the security, um, as the woman who um, agitated the security guard and then forced her to act in self-defense. So Helena tweeted out, and I quote, hi, this is the liberal late a lesbian of the family who's been kicked out multiple times for her views and for going to Black Lives Matter protests to care what to care what happens to me. So, and then she, not only did she out her mom, she outed her uncle and her aunt who was all at this rally. And she is the reason her mom no longer has a job and may face criminal charges. Look, I, I we live in a different time, right? 
And even though we still see egregious murders and, and violence disproportionately affecting and hurting our communities, we live in a time where everything is captured on camera. And at the very least, you will be held accountable in the court of public opinion. So I'm, I'm urging you know, Trump supporters, MAGA, all these people that Donald Trump is inciting, do not become violent because this shows you, number one, you will catch a fade, or number two, you'll probably be caught on camera and be embarrassed, maybe even by your own family members. Speaking, so of, fade, speaking of fades, Anaya, do you have said fade available for us to see? And there we go. You see that? There's uh -huh. <laughs> one thing about black folks, our hands always work. Now listen, <laughs> we do not support violence in any form. But you can't just go, like, first of all, did you guys see the punch? It was like one of those punches you throw in your dreams when you're fighting against somebody. That weak left arm? Mm -mm -mm -mm. Damon, you are a man of God. What are your reactions seeing that strong right hook? You know, I believe in self-defense with all my soul you know what i'm saying so so definitely you know and and she listen the context of the environment right you don't know who's touching you you don't know what's going on so i feel as though you know once she found out who it was she did what she did but no one also didn't see that white man take a swing at that black woman though after that black woman defended herself so i think that that's something to also observe so that is a fact and i also want to point out that she lost her job However, people are posting her cash app on social media. It is flawless with five S's. Again, that is dollar sign flawless with five S's. I'm not saying that you have to send her money, but I'm telling you that I did. So folks, we are running short on time, so I wanna bring us to one more story. Um, this story was a pretty big deal. If you missed it, I'm sorry you missed it. We will tweet out the link later. But Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez went on Instagram Live and recounted what happened while she was in the Capitol, while all these crazy white folks were pulling up, trying to murder her and other Congress members. In it, she calls Senator Hawley and Cruz white supremacists. She says they need to be expelled from Congress. She says these people need to be held accountable. And she pretty much says, if even if you did not go out there in the Capitol, if you are encouraging these people and you are an elected official, you do not deserve to be there. I was glued to my phone for a good 45 minutes watching her speech. Um, before I ask folks um, about the speech, I know we do have a really good comment from Veronica, so I wanna highlight that for two seconds. Veronica, let's see what she's saying. And folks, don't forget, we, we like to highlight comments. We want your voices to be heard, so make sure you're leaving comments so that we can highlight them. Veronica from LinkedIn says yes. She called her mom out for, her, for hypocrisy. Veronica is talking about the daughter of the white woman who got the hands put on her for punching a black woman. Her daughter went on Twitter, retweeted the video, and then put out all the family members' information out there. They're all getting arrested and or fired. But back to AOC. Damon, did you see AOC's IG live in real time, or did you watch it afterwards? I did not see it in real time, but I did watch a good chunks of it afterwards. One of the things that really, really hit home in that is when she began to um, describe her being sequestered with other members and her not feeling that she was safe even among elected officials in Congress, that she herself didn't even feel safe in her own person when her colleagues are around her due to maybe their participation or their complicity or their involvement on the Capitol attack, on the insurrection. And I think that was a real, real moment. Um, but I also think it reflects a lot of the feelings that sometimes we as Black people have when we have to work in environments with people um, and really be in the foxhole with them or on projects and on teams where maybe they, they themselves may not have our best interest in mind. It is definitely a rough, rough time when that happens. So, you know, shout out to AOC for really sharing that and being raw in her emotions when it comes down to that and being vulnerable. Thank you, Damon. Selena, you, like me, are a big AOC supporter. What did you think about that video? Yeah, okay, so first of all, well, I didn't see it in real time. I had I've read accounts, but this is typical AOC, right? This is why, you know, people like me absolutely love her. Not only does she hold the left account, I mean, excuse me, Democrats accountable um, in Congress, but she is a truth, you know, she's a truth teller. She's never one to bite her tongue, and she gave a real account about the terrorism that she was subjected to 
by Trump supporters and the fact that he incited a riot. Um, so I was very happy that she decided to go on IG Live and just give a real account. It seems like many people in our comments are also happy. Um, I know Sharon Scotton from Facebook said, yay for AOC. That account was priceless. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, I agree. It, it was definitely priceless. This is why we need not only people of color, not only women of color, but young people in Congress, right, who will use, utilize social media tools to get the word out and and, and, and don't always regard, like, relying on non, like, traditional means to communicate. But we live in a new world, and I, I've been so proud of AOC. I cannot wait until she makes age so she can run for president. Yeah, I mean, I've been supportive of AOC. I don't know if I want her to run for president, but... So guys, we do have to wrap up the news roundup. I want to highlight a comment coming from Dr. Marcus Robinson to kind of close this out with, because I think it's very important. Um, on that, actually, not that one, um, where he says, white supremacy is real and pervasive in every aspect of American life. This thing is bigger than white supremacist behavior. It's also about organization and institutional behavior. Mark, Dr. Marcus Robinson is 100% right. He's coming in from LinkedIn. Dr. Marcus Robinson, thank you so much for putting in that information. Listen, folks, white supremacy is a national public health crisis. And yeah, it's fun to make fun of these white folks who don't wash their legs and think that they're going to go overthrow the U.S. government. But it starts at the Capitol. Well, you know where they were before they got to the Capitol? They were in East D.C. messing with black folks. You know who had to suffer the consequences of that curfew, that 6 p.m. curfew in D.C.? Black folks. White outrage usually ends up being violent on black people. So we have to stay vigilant and we have to be committing to dismantling white supremacy at every chance we get. So with that being said, folks, I'm gonna close out the news roundup and pass it on to Lena to get us on to the main event, that Trump talk. <laughs> Thank you so much for that, Stanley. So we're in the final days of a White House administration that was defined by chaos, division, shakeups, shakedowns, and a global pandemic that has killed nearly 400,000 Americans. Now, Donald Trump launched his political career with a presidential campaign that criminalized immigrants that were largely from Muslim majority and what he defined as S-hole countries, as well as dog whistles that appealed to white nationalists. Then once he was elected, he continued to sow more division and lies into the country, marking and making the last four years feel like a dark, never ending saga of petty insults at world leaders, judges, and even members of his own cabinet, nepotism, dehumanizing journalists, and shameless solicitation of foreign actors to meddle in U.S. elections. However, it feels as though the last two months have been arguably the most turbulent time of the Trump era. The false claims, conspiracy theories, chaos, firings, staff shakeups, controversial pardons, and defeats in Congress and, and the courts, followed by his refusal to concede the 2020 presidential race, and his role in inciting an insurrection led by white domestic terrorists at the U.S. Capitol perfectly encapsulates the entire Trump presidency. So for the next 30 minutes, we'll question whether there is actual meaning from this wild barrage of scandals and controversies, lies and hate mongering that has made us all feel like we're living in the twilight zone. Joining us for this discussion, we have our friend, Pierre Benjamin, who is the former director of grassroots outreach for the New York State Republican Party. So Pierre, you know, I just gave a very grave overview of the Trump White House and its impact on our nation. Um, as someone who has been very vocal about supporting Donald Trump, how would you define the Trump presidency? Uh, thank you for having me, Celine. I'm really humbled to be here that you guys invited me. Uh, I want to shout out all you guys for your work and advocacy, uh, not just here and today, but uh, for quite some time. Uh, Damon, regretfully, I'm just meeting you for the first time, but it sounds like you have uh, quite a plethora of experience. Um, if, I, if I'm going to be honest and express the last four years, for me, it's been obviously different than many of the people who critique me with great respects and uh, the paradigm within even in my local community. Um, all the more reason why it was necessary to express not only a difference of opinion, but the leverage it yields. So over the last four years, uh, these are some of the things that I have personally experienced and have seen not only in just the same media that we're all watching, the narratives, uh, the regretful challenges that takes place uh, in a global pandemic, um, but 
despite and beyond that, as it relates explicitly to people of ethnicity, uh, over the last four years, I've seen a marginalization in not just the uh, political, social, and economic leverage of the heterosexual black man in the United States. We've seen uh, grave and sincere economic challenges for poor people who have already been poor prior to in the United States. Uh, we've seen unfortunate uh, loss, uh, particularly over the last year with the global pandemic uh, here in the United States. And we've seen uh, a government for lack of a better terms, and to be blunt and forthright, bipartisanly, seductively limit uh, economic advancement of its own people to satisfy the economic advancement or projects overseas. And for me, and I say specifically because I've advocated differently, right? Um, like many of you on this line, I advocated as a Democrat very early on. Um, I've, I've worked with local Democrat officials. Um, I have criticized because it is necessary to criticize. So my biggest challenge over the last four years isn't that people criticize Donald Trump. I think that was important. Uh, what marginalizes that criticism is that we're only doing it on one political side when both political parties have been guilty about the demise of poor people, uh, African-American families, and the socioeconomic disparities that these families have faced here in the United States. So the last four years were something. Um, for people who have or had the privilege to engage, like, like I don't know if you're saying something, Selena. It looks like you're, oh, you're trying. Yeah, no, I just wanted to specify. So I just wanted to know how would you define the Trump presidency? Because I agree with you that we need to criticize both parties. But what about the? Did you have any criticism or applause for that matter of Donald Trump in the last? No, week? the things that I didn't like about him, I was very vocal on. I've had it on my lives. Uh, specifically, when uh, they said he lost, I think he should have conceded, not just for the sake of democracy. But I was at the inauguration where uh, Donald Trump in his own words stated, uh, he thanked former President Obama for making that transition. And he said, and I quote how important it is uh, when George Washington uh, did it, and he had gave historical uh, precedence as to why that's important. Um, the, the challenge that happens, and I feel that will happen maybe in the future, I hope it doesn't, is when we have uh, an election cycle that's not respected on both sides, and pay very close attention. If it's not respected by both sides, regardless of the outcome, then the people engaging in that democracy, especially and specifically since we the people not just make up democracy, but the United States postures itself in being the expert of democracy and sells that globally. So for us to not have that and the, the lack of, with, for lack of a better term, of his ability to concede in that moment, not only makes it very difficult for a country to move forward, but it also really undermines um, that very democracy that the United States postures and sells globally. Agreed, so, agreed. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I won't... Gary. We do need to just try to keep it moving if you just wanna land the plane a little bit. <laughs> sorry. So as it relates to the last four years in, in, in his presidency, what I can tout uh, that I think uh, Tim taking a good Obama economy and making it better, I think, is, is important. And all the ways that Obama took a very poor economy from a Bush uh, administration and made something out of it. How people criticize that, that's on them. And political parties will do that to maintain competitive nature. Uh, but I think those were some positive things. What's regretful in that is the, pe the poor people who don't normally participate in that regretfully also miss out. And I won't um, allow... Uh, you know, political affiliation to marginalize that. What I also think was very challenging over the last four years is a racial divide that has been fueled. Now it's fueled on several accounts. It's it does, but hold on, Pierre. We're going to have to just hold it there. Um, Damon, Pierre said a lot, and I want to get your thoughts on um, um, on the Trump presidency. Um, Pierre saw, you know, talked about a lot of things. He also talked about the economy being much better at this time. This is one thing that I do think some of our friends on the right would uh, posture when thinking about or recapping the Trump presidency. How would you define the last four years? Uh, if, I, if I can take a uh, title of a Hulu original, I will call it Little Fires Everywhere. Um, simply because every aspect of the Trump administration, unfortunately, we found little fires. And when you have little fires everywhere, it's a constant distraction. Um, not only are things burning, and not only were there things within our government, aspects of our society, cultural politics, uh, policy issues um, that were burning, they became distractions. So as soon as you began to try to put out one fire, expose one lie, 
talk about one issue, get down to the bottom of another, another one popped up over there. Uh, unfortunately, this administration has been full of little fires everywhere. Um, and I'm trying to keep it short here, but when it comes down to the economy, um, I, I, Pierre did say something that I would say that yes, President Obama uh, took a horrible situation, made something really, really good out of it. And, and he said that Donald Trump made it better. I'm not sure if Donald Trump made it better per se. Um, there are things around the economy. My problem is with um, President Trump is the narrative he has created around it, um, saying that, oh, President Obama did nothing, um, that this is the best. Uh, I think Pierre was a little more honest in his assessment than what the um, 45th president of the United States has been. Um, for an example, when we look at black unemployment, um, we see it being a high of almost 17 percent during the Obama um, years back in 2010. And literally that unemployment rate for black people going down to around 7 percent by the time he leaves office. And then under Donald Trump, um, after four years, going down an additional 2 percent, even though white unemployment is still twice as less. Um, that's not um, making it better, per se. I think there was definitely a wave. And we can talk about other issues. We can talk about trade and the impact there um, on the economy. We can talk about the mishandling of COVID on the economy. There is an economic myth. We can talk about the tax cuts. So, that, Dan, that Donald Trump Dan, can, I get, so, can I just get a piece that's, that's of this? I, that's what um, I, would say. I think I think, Damon, you, you tackled a lot and you hit, you hit a lot of nails on the head. Where I would offer um, a different form of opinion is to a family who was unemployed once upon a time to now have income coming in, it cannot be marginalized specifically in the communities that we live in. So taking it from one scale, and I cannot, uh, I can criticize, but I'd never marginalize the accomplishments of the Obama administration. My criticism that comes with it um, as it relates to your comment is to say that if it was seven, it went down an additional 2% to marginalize that additional 2%. That momentum is important. Oh the no, I'm not. I'm not marginalizing the 2%. What I'm saying is I disagree with the false narrative that my specific comments was around the president's narrative when he oh, marginalized. Yeah, 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 yeah. So remember, remember, hold on, Pierre. Remember the initial question was around my critique on Donald Trump's presidency. I got Part you, of I my got critique you. was the way he creates a false narrative and exaggerates well, falsehoods when it came down. So that's what I was showing. I wasn't, no, we are at the lowest unemployment rate right. for black unemployment. So, so let's, yeah, that's no, thank that's you. Hold on, Pierre. And thank you for clarifying. I do want to go to Danwin King's comment. He left a really good comment. Um, I think it was via Facebook. So let's pull up. Uh, it was a long comment. Danwin Blanco from Facebook says Trump was never for all Americans. It showed in his words and action even down to the one to to what happened on one six twenty one events he sympathized with his supporters even saying he loved them but condemned others trump is the worst president of my lifetime thank you for leaving that comment darwin king um stanley i want to get your voice in here um you know we've had some back and forth for some critique on the the presidency as well as the economy what is your opinion so, I mean, I appreciate both Damon and Pierre's comments, but I want to just kind of circle on the facts. So the Obama-Biden administration had the sharpest decline in Black unemployment in U.S. history. And actually that 2% bump that Trump likes to take, to take credit for is actually just overlap from the Obama economy. So if you notice, the unemployment rate went down by 2% over the first two years of Trump's administration, which was still the impact of his economy. That number stagnated after the Trump tax cuts, which cut the revenue in the U.S. government by at least 12% and forced us to have to make other cuts to other programs, which ended up impacting black unemployment. So Trump actually didn't help the black economy, he made it worse. And according to Market Watch, the Trump administration has been disastrous for black people, not just economically, but also in consumer protection, with more organizations feeling empowered to take advantage of black communities with no oversight at all. So let's Thank you for that. So, um, um, Pierre, we do want to keep it moving, but I will give you 30 seconds to respond and then we'll move on to the next question. In regards to both the comments uh, of one putting out small fires uh, and Stanley's comments of making it worse, uh, I can't name a single administration that has ever existed that may not have had small fires or issues that existed throughout the administration. The only difference that we'll see now, particularly uh, as Trump has um, 
some some people may say antagonize media or has a poor defense against media. The entire presidency from day one has been in opposition with media. So any flaw that he may have had was made extremely transparent. That's the vast difference that we've seen in his administration versus many others. Whereas the, the posturing of propaganda can allow for people's perceptions to be engaged, whether it's good or bad, but it will yield that result. And, and, and touting you know, every single negative thing he's done, let's be honest, it's very different. It's not like any other president. He's never spoken uh, like a president does. And for many people with great respects, that's why he was there. And for many people now, that's why he's not. And, and that's okay, well, well, hold on, hold on, Stanley, because thank you for that, Pierre. We do want to just keep it moving, um, you know, and Damon, you know, that kind of leads to the next question, which is, you know, out of all the things that Donald Trump has said and done, what policy action or rhetoric has had the greatest impact on you? And, you know, when Pierre was saying all presidents are subjected to criticism and have not have had small fires, it almost sounded like, you know, Donald Trump's presidency was almost the same as if everybody like, you know, wasn't as bad as everybody else's, I guess, if you look at it from that perspective. But Damon, what's your take on that? Yeah, I, I definitely disagree with that uh, narrative that, you know, this presidency is just on scale and on skew with everyone else's. It's That's just that the meat, it's just that, it's just, I didn't say you said it. Okay. I said, I disagree with an overall narrative. Okay. Um, and that's for something that Celine Yo had. So, so, but what I will get to my answer is that one of the biggest failures or actions or inactions, I will say inactions, uh, mm -hmm. that really impacted my life, um, and there's so many, but I would have to talk about the inaction um, and the incompetence around COVID-19 and the overall disregard for public health. Um, and I would have to put that out there because I think there's no one that has been untouched, uh, whether economically, whether losing family members. And no, I'm not saying that President Donald Trump created COVID-19 in a lab somewhere <laughs> and that he's responsible for the creation of the virus. But what I am saying that under his leadership, he is responsible for neglecting the facts, for disregarding the issue, um, and, 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 for, and for offering a narrative that was really anti-public health um, that we see later on as he round up supporters uh, <laughs> to be free per se. But, but it is his incompetence and uh, around COVID-19 and the disregard for public health. Um, Damon, I couldn't I think, agree, I, I couldn't agree I more. Think, uh, I think the only we all, hold on, Pierre. Let me finish. I think we all, I think we all can agree that our quality of life has been um, lessened by those actions. So, David, I couldn't, I, I couldn't agree hold more. On. I, I want to just hold on, hold on, Pierre. Hold on, because I want to highlight Marcia Bell's comment. Uh, Marcia says via LinkedIn, Trump created apprenticeship programs that minorities aren't taking advantage of. These lead to high-paying jobs, but we hate him too much to accept his help. Stanley, I, I want to, um, with that being said, I want to get your thoughts and comments on um, not only that, but, you know, you can answer the question too. Has Donald Trump done anything positive or negative that has impacted you the most? He's lost the election. That's a positive thing. Um, I just want to respond very quickly to Marcia Bell. No, he did not. That was created under the Obama administration and the Trump administration. One of the first things they did was cut funding for programs that stimulate the economy or supported black businesses. So that wasn't a Trump thing. It's not about hating Trump. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't tear up my twelve hundred dollars stimulus check because it had Trump's name on it. I cashed it. I don't think folks are are refusing services because of Trump. I will say that Trump has not been a good president at all. I would argue he's probably the worst we've ever had. I just want to point out one more thing that's directly impacted me. Trump's crusade against undocumented people. Now, while most people think that the folks who have suffered the most under the Trump administration as per immigration have been Mexican people and people from South America, and they have suffered a lot. But the fact is, actually, the people who have suffered the most are black immigrants, particularly Haitians. Right now, Haitians make up 44% of the people currently detained by ICE. Haitians are... 87% of Haitians who apply for asylum will be rejected. That's only, it's the second highest, second to Mexico only. Haitians also experience higher bail numbers when they're trying to get bailed out from prison after being criminalized by this Republican Trump administration. So as a Haitian man who cares deeply about Haitian people, I have felt this in a very visceral way with family members, with friends, with people in the Haitian community. I, I can't wait for him to get out of here. He's, they've also tried to cancel temporary protective status for Haitians who are coming to the country because A, Haiti is currently 
a, a war zone, and B, because there's still Haitians suffering from the earthquake that happened in 2010. So let's dig, Gary, let's dig deep into that 100%. So yeah. let's get this out the way. The reason I wasn't no, no longer with the RNC is uh, as opposed to the shithole uh, Haiti comments, of which case that you would have heard it on CNN, except they had a biased position of me that I didn't want to just bomb Trump. I didn't appreciate how Haiti's used as a social pawn often uh, to yield a political result. If we're being honest and specifically, Stanley, you recall you worked for Matthew Eugene in Brooklyn. I was also in that same building on the third floor. Matthew Eugene was on the first floor where you personally worked with TPS or the temporary protective status of Haitians impacted by the earthquake, of which, and still, billions of dollars are misallocated uh, by way of the Clinton Foundation. As a result, they were offered a temporary protective status that didn't give them any rights to citizenship, that only allowed them the ability to work in the United States for those specifically who couldn't provide documents immediately for the homes that they lost uh, in Haiti. So I, I not just love Haiti, I'm in Haiti very frequently. I go several times a year. I work with an orphanage in Haiti. And the reason that many Haitians are on that list and it's very skewed and it skews the paradigm is because they were offered a temporary status under Obama. If it was sincere, it should have led to a real path of citizenship. All the while, while many resources in Haiti are owned by Clinton families, all the while, many of these homes that were supposed to be built from billions of dollars that was rendered to the Clinton Foundation and other organizations were misused. I could understand misusing of a, a million or even a hundred million, but you can't make a billion plus dollars go away and it relates to Haitian currency, uh, partic particularly within an election cycle. And so if, if we're gonna be very forthright and honest, yes, those Haitians are on that list because something temporary is set to expire. Licenses expire passports expire and when they expire you have to renew them in this case and regretfully so under a democrat administration they weren't given the opportunity to have it um permanently it was extended under obama twice it was even extended under trump and said he would not do it any further because of the leverage that was given by way it was given to these people wasn't a long-lasting thing so i agree with you stanley that something should have been done it doesn't exclusively fall at the arms of this president but also gives the example of what i gave earlier these challenges of immigration has existed it existed under Bush one, Bush two, Clinton. Every single one of them have mentioned immigration. The past administration, Obama administration, deported more people, be it for crime, them expiring their uh, the stay here, um, the separation of families at the borders. I will criticize how they've separated the families and the results of children. It's disgusting, but regretfully so, the language of the law permits such things to happen. And we've seen that grunt under this presidential administration, yes, but it's not like it wasn't there prior to. Regretfully so, uh, and one of the points that I wanted to add, Damien, as it relates to COVID. Hold, wait, hold me, on, I just hold wanted... on, no, 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 Pierre. I wanna give Stanley 30 seconds to respond to the direct comment you said to him, and then we're gonna okay. have to keep it moving. Go ahead, Stanley. Okay. That was a lot, I'll try to keep it quick. Pierre, I think you try to conflate um, 17 issues into one issue. They're, they're connected. When I worked at Matthew Eugene's office, Haitians were being provided temporary protective status because of the earthquake, not yes. because of the Clinton Foundation. You not mentioned because of what? Not because of the Clinton Foundation. You no, no, let's not let's not confuse the two. They are very connected, Stanley. They're extremely connected. They're not. Yes, so, they are. Pierre, they're not. And here's how. Actually, mm -hmm. I think you're getting the information wrong. It was the Red Cross who raised $500 million to build homes in Haiti and mm -hmm. only built 12. I know that because I wrote about it and we talked about it on our show for years. Did the Clinton Foundation take any money? Hold on, Pierre. Did the Clinton Foundation accept any money? And then also, hold on, Pierre. The Trump administration is not deporting people convicted of crimes. Actually, 60% of the pay of the Haitians who've been deported under the Trump administration for crimes were not actually convicted of anything. 40% of them were arrested for small things like traffic violations or parking tickets. And then because of a Trump law, I think it's called issue 135, those cops can then refer those people to ICE and then they were taken away. And Haitians, unlike any other group besides other black groups, are almost instantly deported with no trial or lose their trial. So I get that you want to support the Trump administration, but I want to really employ you to stick to the facts. This is much um, bigger. Hold on, hold on, Pierre. We do got to keep it moving. We will give you some more time to follow up with comments. So thank you um, for that. Um, Damon, you know, we haven't heard from you in a while. Definitely want to get your voice back into the conversation just to move things along. What lasting effects will the Trump administration have on the nation and the world at large? Um, I think I think on the nation, uh, there are a couple lasting effects. Um, one, I would say definitely the justices, right? The the Trump administration's rush to uh, really 
put judges in place and nominate judges, which is his presidential right. Um, but that will have a lasting impact on our nation. These are lifetime positions. And I understand the facts. I know that Trump has only put in a little bit over 200 um, judges and, and that other presidents have put in more, but they have put in more over two terms. Um, Trump has put in uh, almost uh, double as they did in their first term as he did in his first term. So definitely, and has put in just as many uh, federal appeal court uh, justices um, into their two terms, he's done it in one term. So that's definitely going to have a lasting impact. And I also think um, bringing things that were once on the fringe, bringing things um, like Trumpism, white supremacy, and things of that nature, uh, and really dignifying it, with a spotlight and a stage and a platform, um, that is something that I believe has the ability uh, to definitely outlive his administration and may even outlive his lifetime. Um, of course, white supremacy has been here. Of course, this nation has been racist before Trump. Trump is not responsible for the racism of America. But what I would say is Trump does have a role to play in the way he dignified such groups and dignified such rhetoric by endorsing it with the presidency of the United States and giving them a national platform and making them almost one um, with his platform and calling them very fine people and, and making sure that he loves them. And, and to hear that from the White House, that will have a lasting effect. There's an emboldened um, that has happened in this nation. So, um, Thank you for that, Damon. Pierre, did Donald Trump dignify and embolden racists, white supremacists, white nationalists, whatever I, I, you want to call them? I think Donald Trump's presence as it relates to race is uh, much like the United States presence as it relates to race. It's an ignorant paradigm. It is uh, one-sided. It is... Um, the understanding sorry, that black can you clarify what i'm sorry can you just clarify so to, to to if if we're going to be honest if we look at things like either crime bills in this nation or the history that led to crime bills in this nation both political parties are responsible for it and so what donald trump is or trumpism or what you'd like to regard as race uh, in the modern form is only the symptom of a much bigger economic racism that has taken place in this country but and we agree over, to that no we all agree with, but so, what so, is did Go he ahead. embolden white nationalists? Because we agree to that. It's a I, symptom. I, I think um, things like the term of MAGA or um, um, his energy has a, a, a whistleblowing effect that encourages and empowers certain American people. And it is not to say that it is exclusive to those people. Uh, yes, Damon. <laughs> no, go ahead, brother. I'm, uh, I'm responding. I'm not going to interrupt you. But all right. I'm, I'm just, so I think I think. Fine. So I think within that uh, and those people who get empowered or encouraged um, has a paradigm that only fuels uh, a particular divide, uh, one in which I've never not here nor anywhere else I've ever supported, uh, none of which that I've ever held at a high regard, um, because regretfully, and somebody else said it on this, I don't remember if it was Damon or Stanley, that uh, sense of inferiority is an exclusive to him. Uh, as it relates to Donald Trump, and it's something that this nation will always have. Where we fall, be it black, white, or otherwise, within that mix is realistically something that is up to an, an its individual per individual basis. And I'm not certain if an entire overlap of a country or a president can change that. If we're going to be honest, um, a good example of what I've just said is you have Ice Cube makes an offer or presents an idea to both political parties. He's ostracized from one, blamed uh, for another, and has still, after the election, met the initial group that uh, told him, we'll, we'll look into it after the election. And so over these last few years, if, if we're looking at um, his presidency, regretfully so, African-Americans still don't have uh, a realistic and viable option. And that divisiveness is going to continue, whether it's going to be seductive and we don't realize it, or if it's blatant um, as saying that there's fine people on both sides. If, if we're not going to be, with great respects, having the same Trump energy with this administration, which we don't, uh, Biden met with black activists only right after the election. They were treated like children right. with a substitute okay. teacher. So no, no, th thank you for that, Pierre. I, I do think we're diverting a little bit from the question. I know, Damon, 15 seconds to respond, then we'll go to Stanley. I would just say the question was simple and clear. Did this president embolden white supremacy? Not fractions of MAGA, not people who like him. Did he personally, through his language, his rhetoric, and even some of his actions, embolden and give signals 
that this is okay, that this is something we say. I understand clearly about the history of partisan politics in this nation and how black people have gotten the rough end of the stick on both sides of the aisle. But to compare a crime bill, which of course had detrimental effects, which was supported by black and white legislators, which we know now looking back that it was a no-go. To compare that to the result and the climax of what we saw on the 6th is right. totally to me uh, uneven. So, so what, not exactly no, no, what I'm th oh, Thank you for that. Um, respecto, to me, those, uh, those are... No, no, Pierre, give me a minute. Yeah. So Respecto, Eli had a comment also at 247. He also responded very directly to the question. He said, yes, Trump has emboldened them. Stanley, we haven't heard from you in a while. Thank you for being so patient. Um, the question at hand as we start to try to wrap this up is what lasting yes. effects will the Trump administration have on the nation and world at large? Obviously, white supremacy is some of the one of the things that are being talked about now. I think white supremacy is the thing that will be the lasting impact. We know that the world has always been racist, particularly the American democracy has been built off of white supremacy and enslaved black people. But Donald Trump just reignited a fire that has emboldened people and turned the Republican Party into a white supremacist nation. And actually, what we might be witnessing is the beginning of the decline of the American democracy and the idea as we know it. Because when you have an entire subsection of people, 70 million people who voted for him, who believe that everything is a lie, that the election was stolen, that black people are trying to steal rights from white people, that immigrants are trying to take their jobs, that gay people are taking rights from black men, you are in trouble. You've all lost all 70 million people so, have that paradigm? As I was saying, Donald Trump has and Donald Trump has not only stroked those ideas, he's encouraged them. So Stanley, or, or all 70 sex, million people have that paradigm. Listen, even if you don't walk with the KKK, if you vote for the Klansmen, you're a racist just, just, or you're a racist supporter. Bear, bear with me. Every every single one of the, the, the challenges. Oh, Pierre, also, guys, we gotta do it one at a time. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm Stanley, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Sam. My fault. Good. I get it. We fired up. Listen, it's very simple. If you are white and you vote for a white supremacist, someone who has shown you they're a white supremacist, you support white supremacy. You are racist. If you are black and you support a white supremacist and someone who has imprisoned 44% of Haitian undocumented people, who has pushed policies to get rid of implicit bias training, who has removed restrictions on police forces that have known to have been racist, who has encouraged white supremacist groups to stand by and stand back, and then said, I will be with you at the Capitol when you ransack it, if you support someone like that and you continue to support someone like that, I don't know what to tell you. You're a racist. And if you're a black, you're abiding a racist. And it's as simple as that. And Trump's legacy will be ultimate white mediocre supremacy. And if we but, don't do the work to organize white people and help them understand and see how white supremacy hurts them, we are all in trouble. And if we don't go talk to our black and brown sisters and brothers who also support this white supremacist government and show them the way, we are all in trouble. It's just the facts. The numbers bear out right that Trump has said one thing, but he's been a failure and he's hurt the country and he's hurt race relations in this country in major ways. There's no way you can romanticize it. I'm not here to romanticize. No yeah, I'm not here to romanticize or marginalize. What handicaps the argument that you're making is if it's it's happening now, it has never happened before, uh, and I'm not making excuses for one and not blaming the other. What really hurts me uh, in in ter terms of our understanding of advocacy is we're to me we're having two separate languages, one where race especially in its modern form right now is a lot more than the incidents that we're looking at. It is an explicit and uh, a direct symptom of far greater issues that are happening in front of our eyes, except we're fo we're so focused and fixed at the immediate image and at the immediate picture. Stanley, if all the things that you're saying um, holds precedence, it holds precedence on both sides of the aisle. And using one and not both, or saying one is and, and the other isn't, or as it relates to him and white supremacy, in my paradigm of him and the other 70 million people that may engage in this democracy to agree uh, or not agree with what you're saying, the numbers simply don't add up to that. The, the, the numbers of those 70 million, and I'm glad you mentioned them, who brought out more people than any other election in the world, obviously people are engaged and passionate about different things. If we count what happened on the 6th, this has always happened in one form or the other in this nation. And it, whether no. people are upset, no. hold on, 
Whether people are, yes, it has. And whether true. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Not true. It may not have been explicit. Bear with me. It may not be in modern times explicit as storming a capital, but it's there's no difference than people who are upset because they're not getting their voices across. Who takes to the streets? What I'm telling you is these are all results of much greater things, and why we're not getting to where we need to be, regardless of who's president or not, because there's some social groups who don't care who the president is. They're going to use both either way. There's some okay. ethnic groups. Thank you, Pierre. We do want to give Stanley 15 seconds to respond before we wrap. Pierre, you're actually right. This has happened before. The last time it happened was during Reconstruction when the racist white men stormed the Capitol in their states because of the Reconstruction laws. And that's how we got the Black Codes. And that's how we got pretty much the creation of the prison industrial complex. So you're right about that part right there. And what we're seeing is a repetition of that. The second piece of that, just to help to build some context to what I'm saying, white supremacy is a public health crisis. We all suffer from white supremacy. And white people, it shows up in every single white person, whether implicit, explicit, or internal, being racist. That doesn't mean that every single white person is bad, but it does mean that every single white person has racist ideas about black people because of the way society is built. It means that black and brown people can be anti-black and we have to do the work to help decolonize those pieces. Donald Trump, instead of trying to decolonize people's minds around that, has stoked it and even encouraged white people to become more comfortable in that white supremacy. So when I say 70 million people who voted for Trump either are racist or support white supremacy, what I'm saying is 70 million people who voted for Trump either are racist or support white supremacy because of the, the, because of the culture and the disease of white supremacy. It's as simple as that. Thank you, Stanley. We do have a comment from Evan via Facebook that we want to pull. Nobody is arguing that racism doesn't exist under the surface, but his rhetoric pushes the surface higher by emboldening more actors. They now feel that they have someone who will co-sign their actions publicly in the White House. Thank you for that, Evan. Um, Damon, we do have to wrap up our final thoughts on this conversation. Uh, what are your final thoughts and what lessons have we learned from the Trump era that we can apply moving forward? I encourage everyone who listened to this conversation to, of course, fact check us, fact check what we've said, go and do your own research. I think that is very important. I think what is also dangerous as part of my final comments is to, we understand that both parties are off the chain at times. We understand what history teaches us, but we also understand there is a difference and it is a false narrative to talk about as if that they're just same, just different, you know, they just look different, but they're the same, no. They are not the same. Our choices this election weren't the same. There were very clear, clear differences. And if I can give some advice to the Joe Biden and Harris and Kamala Harris administration, there's a quote from uh, Color Purple where uh, Sophia, uh, Miss Sophia tells Silly says, you know, you better bash Mr. Head in and worry about heaven later. Pretty much what I'm saying is, is that he, Joe Biden is about to enter into a climate um, where everyone is saying, oh, come on, we can get along or whatnot. I get you want to get along and everything, but he also has to be aware that this is not the same Republican Party. This Republican Party has evolved. This Republican Party is not principled. Um, I, I respect Republicans, but this party now is not principled. And so while you have the majority, you better get to work and get what you need done for the betterment of our nation, okay? And, and worry about the, the heaven of politics later. Thank you, Damon. Pieri, final thoughts? I want to thank everybody for having this. Contrary that uh, my views aren't the same. Uh, as it relates to Damon's last comment, Obama also entered office with a lot of leverage, um, many of which uh, people criticize are misused. What I would hope to happen over the next four or maybe eight years under a Biden administration is a leveraging act for people uh, who look like me, even if they don't agree with me, is to leverage, uh, force, and advocate no differently than LGBTQ has had to be able to get the things that they need uh, in all the ways that they average for a lot more than their sexual presence and human rights is the same way that African-Americans have to uh, leverage ourselves far beyond race. Uh, and it must be in such an accord where economically, socially, we're putting ourselves at the forefront and using our local level leaders in most parts are all Democrats who look like us to take this to the next pedestal and advocate for us at a much higher executive level, particularly since Biden's now in office. Stanley, final thoughts. What sense can we make of the last four years and how can we apply that, those lessons to the next four years? I think the sense that we can make from this is what white supremacy really is. 
white supremacy is the idea that white people are superior to other people and all the ideas under it, which means if you are black, a brown woman, gay, lesbian, trans, you threaten that supremacy, which means you are a threat to them. And that's what we are witnessing. And we need to lift heaven and earth and bash Mr. Head in, just like Damon said, so that we can dismantle this entire idea about white supremacy. Policy-wise, the Biden administration is here because of black folks. You need to pass reparations for descendants of American slaves. You need to pass student loan forgiveness. You need to pass Medicare for all. You need to get $2,000 a month going to every single person for the next year. And you need to accelerate the rollout of the COVID vaccine and create a fund for people who suffer from it, from the effects of the COVID virus. Finally, give the $200 million to Flint, Michigan, so they can get their pipes fixed and finally have clean water and arrest the people who poisoned them, including Republican Governor, Governor Snyder. As far as me and the Republican Party, I think the Republican Party has shown you who they are. They are white supremacists, and if they're not white supremacists, they support white supremacists. I don't support white supremacists or white supremacy. I can't mess with them. They're done as far as I'm concerned. Thank you for that, Stanley. Um, we do have to wrap here before we get to our sponsored content. So let me just end by saying this. You know, when Donald Trump was first elected, we here on Be Her Talk, we unapologetically called him out as being a demagogue, a xenophobe, sexist, ignorant, and a liar. We argue that he was an authoritarian and that he loved authoritarians. Uh, we argue that he had no regard to the constitution or for the law. And we argue that he himself was an enemy of things that are facts. In retrospect, as we look back four years later, not only were we right, but it was almost like an understatement. And as a result, we have 400,000 less Americans in our country. Not because he caused the pandemic, but his lies exasperated it. That being said, we knew who Donald Trump was before he was elected. Even before that, we knew who he was, he showed his colors. But it was not until his election that a lot of us got to see in real time what racism looks like, what white supremacy looks like, and what that support, that blind support for someone who has not helped us in meaningful ways and ways that we could, um, that would actually help our communities, that would actually keep us alive in a, in a pandemic. It actually shows that for those people to continue to support him, those 70 million people that continue to support him, it shows me that we still have a lot of work to do. Moving forward, just like Stanley said, and just like Damon said, we have to hold the Biden administration accountable. We should, we're also very unapologetic about criticizing the Democratic Party. And now is the time where we need to come together, organize and mobilize and make sure that these next few years will benefit, impact and help our communities, especially us as people of color, as black people and black women who even got, because we got Joe Biden elected in the first place. So make sure that we stay very vigilant in holding them accountable. That being said, we do have to wrap up, but before we go, we do have a word from Mr. Carl Clay. He is our sponsor. Um, he is the CEO and founder of Black Spectrum Theater. Um, I actually had a chance to interview him one-on-one um, -on -one in an exclusive. We wanna play you a clip and we wanna encourage everyone to actually watch the full interview on our Facebook or Twitter page or actually, or our Instagram page. So you can head there now. Thank you. And it's an honor to have you. You have quite an impressive portfolio and body of work over the last few decades. So I actually wanted to start there. If you sure. can tell us about when and why you founded Black Spectrum Theater. Well, I founded Black Spectrum Theater. It was, it was uh, I'm not going to say it was simple, but, but the, 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 the impetus to begin it was very simple. It was visceral in the sense that, uh, you know, I was watching what was going on in the late 60s uh, in the streets and in, uh, in Alabama and Mississippi. And like many others, I had an emotional response to it. Uh, having done a lot of reading about uh, my 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 people's history and my family's history and so forth. It was like, well, what can I do? And um, I, I I realized that the tools that I had in my hand, as as Adam Clayton Powell always says, uh, look what's in your hands. Um, uh, even though I wasn't quoting him back then, um, in retrospect, that's exactly what I did. It was look what's in your hand. And what I had was 
is a uh, a real thirst for the creative arts. And um, but at that time, I was I I realized that maybe you could marry those two, that that interest in and understanding what was going on and using that as a as a tool to uh, make change in the community and educate people and communicate to people. So Mr. Clay, you're actually a staple in South Jamaica, Queens. How has the Black Spectrum Theater really served this community? Well, uh, you know, over the, over the years, it's, it's, it's occurred in several ways. Uh, when we first started out, it was, you know, basically the work and, 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 and uh, putting together our ideas, one of our first productions. The first production we ever did uh, was called actually Niggers. <laughs> and the, the reason why we wrote that play, we wanted to trace that word all the way back to its origin in the 16th century and follow it up to today. Um, you know, a lot of people didn't like us with, with that name at the beginning. So uh, we kind of changed that, but the group broke up and we came back and did a play called Black Love. And Black Love um, was something different in the uh, early 70s uh, because it didn't talk about, uh, you know, what other folks were doing to us. It just talked about how we could find love within ourselves and, and amongst each other to create a better community. And so that resonated. And since then, over the years, our, our goal has been to create works that, that are uh, pertinent, they have, have a pertinent significance to our community. We've grown um, and I think become a, um, a staple, you can say our organization become a staple in the community because we've tried to be there for the different uh, phases that our community has gone through whether it was, um, you know, uh, police brutality, uh, whether it was health issues, whether it was uh, employment issues, whether it was educational issues, and all of our uh, productions have lent itself in some way, besides pro also providing uh, quality entertainment. But, you know, when you put those two things together, it becomes uh, edutainment, you know, um, and, uh, and I think that's that's really it. I mean, we had the opportunity to move the theater into Manhattan. Uh, we had the opportunity to move it up on Jamaica Avenue. And we've always balked at that a bit because we just felt that if we can stay within the community and represent the, the, that energy around us, uh, that the community will support us for years to come. And I think that some of that has, uh, has you know, it's proven itself over the years. <laughs> Thank you again to Mr. Carl Play uh, for that exclusive interview. Again, check it out on Be Her Talk's Facebook page, our Instagram page. It will be up on Twitter and YouTube as well. Uh, that being said, also check out Black Spectrum Theater at www.blackspectrum.com. And on that note, that concludes this episode of Be Her Talk. Thank you guys so much for the, the great engagement and the commentary. We appreciate all the comments we received. Of course, we could not read all of them, but we did see them. And we will see you again next Sunday. Take care, guys.